welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. I'm Dana Zook. We have moved into the fall and why this season, while this season is anything but typical, conversations almost always center and around beef cow supplementation. So I thought it timely to invite Dr. Dave Lawman, one of our Extension Beef Specialists to the podcast. Welcome, Dave. Thank you. Yes. Glad to be here. Dr. Dave Lawman is an endowed professor and extension beef cattle specialist at Oklahoma State University. Many of you have probably seen him on Sun Up, saw him wrote, write articles occasionally for Cow Cow Corner. He focuses primarily on the production of beef cows and stalker calves with an emphasis on grazing. And I will, I, I quoted this from your resume or whatever online because I think it's very important, Dave. His extension and applied research program includes includes beef cattle nutrition and management with emphasis on beef cattle grazing and the genetic by environment interactions in beef cattle production systems. It's so important these days with the genetics, the genomics, all the things that we are able to, you know, understand how that works in our environment. And with it being dry and that sort of thing, we're testing those genetics. So Dave, before I ramp off and start talking about a million things. Why don't you give us a little of your background because this is the first time on the podcast. I can do that. So I was born and raised in Southeast Kansas. So just about a three and a half hour drive from Stillwater, Oklahoma. So not a lot different uh, country, but near Uniontown, Kansas is kind of where my family's from. And we uh, was born and raised on a diversified family farming operation there. And we had cattle and, of course, crops. Uh, but then uh, finished my undergraduate degree at Kansas State University. And then from there moved on to Montana State University as the beef cattle herdsman there. And while I was doing that job, I also worked towards completing a master's degree and did that in, in a little over three years. And then from there... Uh, just an opportunity came up at the University of Missouri to work as an associate extension specialist in beef cattle nutrition. And lo and behold, they asked me to be working on a PhD. They asked you to be working on <laughs> well, one. <laughs> while I was doing that, I had not intended to continue on, you know, with my uh -huh. PhD, but it just sort of uh, fell together that way. And so that's how that's how that happened. And then from by the time I finished my PhD and I worked at the University of Missouri for five years as an extension associate, then uh, this opportunity came available here at Oklahoma State. And so we've been here at OSU for, for quite a while now, raised our family near Stillwater. That's great, Dave. Uh, I didn't realize that you were from Southeast Kansas, yeah. so you're still yeah. not too far from no, not No, it's not far back home. That's good. And I didn't know that you had never intended to become yeah, a no. Beef cattle specialist. No, oh, I, I did not. Oh, it just twice in a row there, it just sort of all fell into place. So well, there's always a plan. Yeah, right? it worked out. So we are recording on kind of a warm October afternoon. Yeah. Uh, temps are better than they were this summer, right, Dave? Oh, it was boy. terrible this summer. 105 seemed like every day. Yeah. Um, but it's dry. It's really dry. Uh, those involved in agriculture across the state of Oklahoma have seen unprecedented dry times in the last year. I mean, it's feel I feel like it's just been on the dry side mm -hmm. for over a year. Many were hoping for some late summer and early fall rains to turn things around, but those have not come about. So it's a tough picture. 
but it's a reality. Most cattle producers are steering down the tunnel of less than normal grass and reduced hay supplies and feed prices remain exceptionally high. So that sets the stage for our conversation, yeah. right, Dave? Right. Um, you've been heavily involved with guiding me as well as other extension educators, kind of how to adapt to maybe our conversation about supplementation and, and feeding strategies for producers that are headed into this drought. Um, so maybe the best place to start is to talk about how we traditionally look at supplementation in Oklahoma mm -hmm. briefly, if you want to tell us a little sure. bit about that. Sure. So what, I mean, what we normally encourage people to do is just uh, consider their primary forage base. And a lot of people have two or three different, you know, major species that they deal with. Some are fortunate out in this part of the world to have wheat pasture most winters that mm -hmm. can sort of figure into the management system and, and a lot a lot of folks don't have that opportunity so they would just we just encourage them to try to match their primary forage resources or uh, match the supplementation program to their primary forage resources and of course the quality of that forage resource can vary from year to year but in general you know on native range which around 50 percent approximately of our cow herd in the state of Oklahoma graze native range. We, we think it's somewhere in that that range. And the other 50 percent are more cool seasons and, and Bermuda grass, which of course is a warm season perennial. But um, with the uh, native range type forages, whether it be little blue stem or big blue stem or short grass further west, um, most people get by in a spring calving herd with a minimal amount of high protein supplement to meet the animal's protein requirement, which maximizes forage intake and digestion. That way the cattle get to, you know, harvest the most energy from the cheapest feed resource on the ranch, which is the forage that they grew throughout the summer growing season mm -hmm. uh, and not purchase those nutrients from uh, whether it be a, a feed store or whether they harvest their own alfalfa and feed it, just purchased and harvested feeds is what we call it. Try to minimize that. That would be the primary plan for most people in a, in a we'll call it a good year. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, and then um, the reason we suggest in a spring calving herd, you know, when after you wean the calves, the cows are in their uh, stage of production, second trimester, generally speaking, when their nutrient requirements are at their lowest point. And so a little bit of protein supplement during that period, starting through through the fall, maybe approaching the first of the year, you can actually put weight and condition on a spring calving cow during that time of year. Uh, if they have forage available that hasn't been picked over or grazed extensively, through the, through the summer and fall. So it's a great opportunity to put some weight on those cows and it doesn't take much supplement. Mm -hmm. um, Bermuda grass, if that's the primary uh, forage resource, it might be a little bit different. Um, you know, we can stockpile Bermuda grass with some late summer fertilization and hope for those normal September rains uh, to grow a little bit of that forage back and it doesn't need any supplement at all for a while. So. It varies, but that's what we encourage people to do most years is to match the supplementation program to the forage resource that they have on their ranch. Yeah, and so we did a stockpiling episode with Brian Pugh way back in early August. Mm -hmm. And so uh, talked a little bit about 
uh, fertilizing that Bermuda grass. Now, I'm not sure if somebody followed that, thought that that was a good idea, if that would have turned out mm, very good this year. Yeah. I don't know. It has to rain it for that to, to work. It has to rain, right. <laughs> so uh, yeah. when we talk about the high-protein supplements, Dave, what are some of the ones that you can pick out just off the top of your head? Well, I mean, the standard here in Oklahoma is at like 38%, 37, 38% commercial cube, and that's going to be on an as-fed basis. That's what will be on the feed tag. Mm -hmm. uh, that's mostly cottonseed meal with a little bit of binder and a vitamin and mineral supplement. That's pretty much – it's going to have a little bit of wheat nids in it, but not a lot. Uh, that would be the one that most people think about in Oklahoma because in the past, cottonseed – well, cottonseed and cottonseed meal wasn't – very far away and that's changed a little bit yeah. in recent years yeah and so people use that's what we we promote kind of as the best bang for your buck um price per pound of protein those higher protein supplements right. are higher because what you need for that season from you know maybe from october through january is just protein mm -hmm. like you said and so we want to look at it on a cost per pound of protein and we talked about that before um, so that's kind of what we're looking at. People will see like a DDG cube these days. I mean, do you still consider a 30% yeah. kind of a high protein? Yeah. 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 I mean, you have to consider that, right. you know, that the, the other the, options. Sure. And, and distillers grains has turned out to be a good quality, um, kind of foundational feed, much like cottonseed meal. And so it works well for that purpose also. And so... That picture you just painted is not really the reality of what we're doing this yeah. year. Yeah. So uh, with high feed prices, some producers have decided, some people have decided they're going to use maybe a lower protein supplement. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at, we've heard 14s and 16s and, and honestly, a 20 is common, mm -hmm. right, Dave? Yeah. We see producers use a 20% a lot. Yeah. Uh, whether it's just because that's what the co-ops have offered or the feed stores have offered just for many, many years. It's a common thing, but that's mm -hmm. a common It supplement. is. Yeah, it is. So I, we wouldn't necessarily put it in the category of high protein. It's kind of moderate, moderate protein, protein source where the 12 or 14 would be maybe considered a low protein supplement. So what makes up these lower protein supplements? Is it mostly wheat mids? Yeah, mostly in Oklahoma. I mean, that is the commodity that our feed industry has uh, you know, local access to. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, the major feed companies here, the furthest I've heard those folks going to get wheat mids is Wichita, Kansas. Okay. And that's not very far away. No, that's not. So the freight isn't bad. Now, cottonseed meal, which is going to, you're going to need some wheat mids and cottonseed meal to make a 20% uh -huh. cube. Uh, but as we mentioned a, a bit ago, uh, the cottonseed meal is, you know, it has to be freighted further now because we don't have the mill in Oklahoma City that we had for years and years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's been out of business five years. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. I know since I came to Oklahoma, it hasn't seems like just the plain cottonseed just has not been as available. And yeah. Not, not as, not as uh, available to producers, um, unfortunately. So if producers are using these lower protein supplements, what... What can we expect from our cows when we're using those protein, lower protein supplements? And we still have to meet a minimum protein requirement, yeah, right? Yeah. So what you're referring to there, I uh, visited with uh, um, one of our major feed manufacturers, and they indicated that producers were requesting uh, basically the straight wheat mid 
product, which is about a 16%. Probably on the feed tag, it's going to say 16. It's actually maybe closer to 17 or 18. But nevertheless, lower protein compared to the 20%. The reason for that is, as you, as you mentioned, uh, it's, it was at the time I visited with the company, which has been several weeks ago, but it was around $40 a ton less expensive. Uh, for the lower protein product. And therefore, uh, there was quite a bit more of the the 16 on the feed tag, the 16% product going out the door. Okay. Um, <clears throat> what we can expect, I think, is again, uh, depending on how well it matches the, the resource at the ranch, if the 20 fit really well and, and uh, just about met those cows' protein requirement, let's say, let's just say you're, you're, calculated that you needed to provide four pounds of a 20 and now you're providing uh, four pounds of a 16 you know uh, I, I guess the first thing i learned in in my ruminant nutrition training or one of the early things i learned not the first thing i can't remember the first thing i learned <laughs> but one of one of the early things i learned was that uh, uh, the first uh, increment of protein supplement you get a big bang for your buck it really helps the rumen environment. You know, just just a little bit of injection of that protein gets those microbes to going. Now, a little bit more probably improves it, but as you get closer and closer to the animal's requirement on a daily basis, the response in the rumen starts to level off. Mm -hmm. And so when it gets to the point of, we'll call it level, right, they're no longer increasing microbial production, you're no longer increasing forage intake, you're no longer increasing diet digestibility or forage digestibility, that's where that's what we call the animal's requirement. That point where it goes from increasing to leveling off, mm -hmm. that's the animal's requirement. Okay. And so it's not a do or die situation. If you don't, quote, meet their requirement, they're not going to lose a body condition score in a couple of weeks. You know, they're not going to perform as well, no. but it will be a slightly less uh, performance response and you might not even notice it, but it all depends on that match. If, you know, if you had a, let's say you had a two pound a day requirement and you were meeting that two pound a day requirement. For protein. A, yeah. For, for protein. For Well, that would be total diet. Let's say okay. you had, a, let's make it simpler. Let's say yes. you had a, a mm, let's say six tenths a pound a day supplemental protein okay. requirement need okay need to get to the okay. requirement uh, for that lower quality forage um, then if you provide five tenths four tenths okay. she's still going to do pretty well you're still going to get the nice big bang for that for that first increment you know the first two or three tenths mm -hmm. of that pro supplemental protein uh, and then you'll get a little bit more from the from the next tenth and the and the second. But um, the cattle would not perform quite as well if you had met that requirement. But remember, you know, at about if they have a six tenths requirement and you're only giving them five tenths, I can't remember what I said a minute yeah, ago. Yeah, you did. But, That's right. <laughs> but five tenths. Remember, you're on that slope where their response is increasing. You're about to get to where it levels off, but you haven't gotten there quite. So their their response is still going to be good. It just won't be quite what it would have been had you provided six tenths in that situation. 
and and we need to remember so 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 just to help out listeners out so when you talk about helping that room and you're stimulating microbial activity so yeah. that's what happens in the room and is those microbes need protein right. to grow and break down the forage so we got to yeah. have that got to have um it. you know 4 pounds of a 20 is not the same as four pounds of a, you know, 16. I mean, you're not getting as much protein. Right. People need to know not all yeah. feeds are created equal. And so mm -hmm. there is, mm -hmm. by doing that, like you said, there is less protein there. Mm -hmm. But I like your example, you know, if they need six tenths of a pound, providing five tenths or four tenths, the cows are just not going to wither away, wither yeah. away and die. Now we're talking about dry cows. Like you made the, you told us earlier, um, a lot of our examples on here will be spring calving cows. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about a lactating fall calving cow. Right. You know, those cows, that's right. a totally different system. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're going to Two be pounds of 38 is not going to cut it. No. Yeah. They're going to get thin if that, because, you know, if the spring calving cow needed six tenths of a pound of supplemental protein, mm -hmm. which by the way, six tenths of pounds is three pounds of a 20%, right? Yes. Yes. So uh, that fall calving cow is going to need substantially more okay. both from protein and energy standpoint so probably you know seven eight pounds of a 20 would get close depending on the quality right. of the forage yeah to provide her calf to recover yeah to mean maybe close to maintain condition so that's a whole yeah. different animal mm -hmm. than what we're talking about yeah. and so i would say if you need any help with that or you want to compare the difference producers Call your extension educator. They mm -hmm. can get you in touch with somebody or some of them are very good at doing um, some of those calculations on our calculator mm -hmm. um, on their own. But yep. that that's I wanted to define that because that's not all cows. We're talking this dry right. cow that's going to wean a calf or, you know, has weaned calves hopefully by now. She's totally in her different. lowest nutrient requirement period. So, yeah, yeah, very different than a cow that's lactating with and about to go into the breeding season. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and when we, as we do go, I mean, yeah, so those cows are typically bred and, you know, yeah, the no spring calves. Yeah, yes. the spring calves. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk some of let's talk about the value of fat in some of these supplements. So some producers are seeing, you know, maybe a, a cube, a 25% cube or 30% cube with 8% fat or something. Just speak mm -hmm. simply to the value sure. of that fat um, because it, it is kind of weird. Fat is energy, right? Um, but it is hard to understand that times. What am I paying for? Is that actually yeah. beneficial? Other than on a case-by-case -case basis, it's difficult to tell a producer exactly what that additional fat is worth. On, but I can tell you that up to, you know, let's say very generally on a, say, a 1,200-pound cow, up to around half a pound of supplemental fat. There's that word supplemental again. Mm -hmm. Not total dietary fat, but supplemental fat. Uh, up to half a pound is very uh, digestible. Cows tend to utilize it. I think that the data we collected on that, the, they digested at the rate of somewhere between 80 to 90 percent. And so it's very useful. It does increase their energy intake. Uh, so now the question is, what is it worth? Uh, and that is difficult unless you, you actually plug in all the, the mm -hmm. you know, the cow size, the cost of the forage, the cost of concentrate feeds, because, you know, maybe maybe a pound and a half or two pounds of corn would be a lot cheaper right. than half a pound of fat. Yeah. So it it depends. But I can say that, that from from my uh, experience in our research program, 
the half a pound of fat is well utilized. It is a good energy source. It's not a wives' tale, or maybe that's not a no, maybe that's no, not that's a good term. Wives' tales. <laughs> okay, good, good. Kitchen, right. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, anyway, it, it it is true. It is a good energy source. The problem is, is when you overdo it, like many things. Uh, if you feed too much fat, you're going to be hard on that microbial population we talked about. Interferes with their growth and reproduction. And eventually, let's say if half a pound up to half a pound is well utilized by the cow, six tenths, seven tenths, eight tenths of a pound, the more you get beyond that, that level, again, we're talking about a 1,200 pound cow, mm -hmm. Uh, the more damage you do to forage intake, forage digestibility, and the amount of energy they can mine from the forage resource. So you can overdo it, uh, but if you just follow those simple guidelines, I think we say uh, if, if a diet starts out, a forage diet starts out at around 3% fat based on what's already in the forage, mm -hmm. and you can add up to about another three, maybe maximum of 4% supplemental fat and not go beyond that threshold and still have very good performance. Yeah, I ran into that maybe when producers want to feed failed soybeans or mm -hmm. um, situations is in that. And, and, yeah. and when we talk about maybe a feedlot animal, that's totally different. And so um, yeah. a little bit different. They that. can but, handle more fat. Yeah, because they're on a concentrated diet. So that's helpful. Like you said, it is on a case-by-case -case basis. But I think some producers wonder, is that worth the money? Well, we have to kind yeah. of compare. Yeah, you know? yeah we do. And, and the other thing Dana will mention is that, you know, you, you also have to use uh, kind of, I don't know, logical... Um, math i guess maybe mm -hmm. which is hard especially <laughs> so, when you're recording yeah. right <laughs> if you're feeding if you're feeding half a pound of a product and they indicate you know maybe the the company or whatever indicates that it's provide supplemental fat mm -hmm. and you go from say 10 percent fat and or well let's say three percent fat in a product of five or six percent fat but you're only feeding half a pound a day okay. well three percent times half a pound a day <laughs> is it's not zero, but it's not a whole lot more than zero, right? right? And you said the example, so, you, you put more of that uh, from the creamer in your coffee in the yeah, morning. Yeah, so, right, right. Um, so yeah, it's, that is a really good example. So mm -hmm. that's how we need to look at it. It may yeah. not be- Enough to matter. Whole, like, it, you know, like 8% is not 8% of the diet. It yeah. is like 8% yeah. of whatever you're feeding. Right, and if they're only eating two tenths of a pound a day, I don't care if it's 20 or 30% fat, it's still not gonna, <laughs> right. so 12, 13, 1400 pound cow, it's not gonna add up to much. Yes, so. okay, so that gives us kind of a little background on the fat and that's mm -hmm. really helpful. So as we, you know, I mentioned feedlot animals, um, and so that's not much different than cows that are on a limit fed diet. And so um, this is gonna be an option for some producers who have the ability to mix ingredients. Um, yeah. and, and not all producers can do it, but limit feeding is not full feeding. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we wanna define that. Limit feeding is an option where we minimize, you know, cows are on a concentrate diet. We're making mm -hmm. them kind of into a, somewhat like a feedlot animal mm -hmm. just to meet the requirement, but nothing more. Yeah. We've used that program with great success the last six, seven, eight years, um, many different situations, and it works. But it's, I mean, it, you have to be willing to do things differently. And as, as you mentioned, you have to be willing to feed them every day mm -hmm. at the, about the same time. It takes more intensive management to 
limit feed a concentrate-based diet. Now, does it stretch your forage supply? Absolutely, because you can drop uh, the, the forage down to around, say, you could get by with as little as six pounds of forage a day to a 12, 13, 1400-pound cow where they might be consuming 30 right mm -hmm. now. So yes, you can, but you're going to replace uh, uh, the energy and protein and the rest of that forage with a concentrate. You're only going to have to feed like to a, uh, a dry cow that's weaned her calf and so on. She's in that second trimester. Um, you know, you might get by with 12 or 13 pounds of total dry matter, uh, 12, 13, 14, somewhere in that neighborhood of total dry matter in a day, but it's going to be 70% concentrate and 65 to 70% concentrate and 30, 35% roughage forage. Yeah, so maybe not a final finishing ration, but you know, you're on that high concentrate diet, so you can yep. use silage. Um, yep. If you have you know access to distiller's grains, you can use corn, you can use mm -hmm. a lot of things. You wanna definitely yep. balance that yep. for them, um, but you've done a lot of that work. Um, and so- That's part of the intense management. You have to know what you're doing from a nutritional standpoint. If you're not comfortable with it, definitely seek some help to make sure it is balanced, as you mentioned, calcium, phosphorus, vitamin A, and so on. And so this has got to be fed in a dry lot or speak to that. There's, there's different ways to go about it, but yes, I mean, if we're going to limit feed a concentrate diet, and again, we're talking like 65, 35 or mm -hmm. somewhere in that range. Um, <clears throat> if you just, turn the cows out and they have forage available to graze and you feed a concentrate diet and a bunk's just inside the gate or something, well, basically you've, you're really not doing either. <laughs> you're not, you're not letting, you're not supplementing the cows on grass and you're not limit feeding. You've lost all control. And so if you're going to maintain control, they need to be in a dry lot or a sacrifice pasture where you control how much they consume. That way you can get by with that, let's say 13 pounds of mm -hmm. feed in a day where they'd normally eat 30 because we're feeding a more concentrate energy diet or energy dense diet. Yeah, they need to decide, are we going to do this? Are yeah. we going to make them concentrate digesters or are yeah. we going to make them forage digesters? Cause that's the in inside yeah. of the room and like if we're playing both games, it doesn't work yeah. very well. No. And and also some people want to maybe put out free choice hay mm -hmm. and the concentrate over here. Well, that doesn't that doesn't work because you have no control. The, some cows will eat only the hay and maybe a little bit of the concentrate. Some cows will eat 25 pounds of concentrate when they're supposed to be getting 13. <laughs> okay. So you just, you've lost control. Yeah. Um, and so you have to be willing to do things differently. Feed every day, feed at the same time. Uh, just be very consistent. And as you said, the mixing could be a challenge for a lot of people. Yeah, I I cringe when um, sometimes people call me and say they're waiting on their, you know, $150,000 forage mixer mm -hmm. that'll break down the forage and everything. When I know, you know, this can be done a lot cheaper than that. You know, you can process the hay by something else and kind of, you know, get by that way. But, you know, it is... It is, you gotta, not everybody has the mixer. Yeah, and right. it is a challenge um, for some producers to use, utilize this. I'm not sure that expensive mixer is the best option. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to justify with the, you yeah. know, depreciation over time oh, yeah, and talk so to your on and so forth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's an economist exactly. for that, right? But exactly. I just cringe yeah. when I'm, you know, it, it's just a tough 
um, kind of decision to make. One, one thing, Dana, that's worked for some people on that is to, it, again, you really have to be willing to do mm -hmm. things differently. But if you have a, let's say, a, a pretty good size pen and you can set round bell feeders inside this big pen or dry lot okay. and have adequate space for the cows in those hay feeders and set the hay, of course, in the feeders in, mm -hmm. that, in that pen. Open the gate, let the cows in, let everybody spread out and get their hay for about an hour. Okay. Open the gate again, kick them out, shut the gate. And then go feed your concentrate portion of that 65-35 blend mm -hmm. out in the pasture in the bunks or right outside of the gate. Not a pasture, yeah. <laughs> a sacrifice pasture yeah. or a big, bigger trap or mm -hmm. something. But that way... You don't have to have, uh, you don't have to chop the forage. You don't have to mix it, but you can, and, and Texas A&M actually did some nice research where that worked just about as well as a mixed diet. Okay. So that's uh, excellent. About an hour in that pen with the hay, but the, but you have to maintain control. You right. got to kick them out and shut the gate. Yeah. Cause they will tank up on that forage. They Cause will. that's what they're, yeah. that's what they want to yeah. do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a blended ration or something on that sort can get you even away from that mixer if you get a blended ration from somebody or or if you can just feed corn in a, yeah. in a feeder or something like that. So, again, every situation would be different, right, yeah. Dave? Oh, and yeah. And so you want to evaluate that. Like you said, increased management, you might have more labor, probably, mm -hmm. feed bunks, the equipment to do it, not going to work for everybody. Not going to work for everybody. It, it's just one way that would work for a few people to at least maintain a nucleus of cows. Sometimes when, when corn was $3 to $4 a bushel, it worked really well for a big group of your cows. Uh -huh. uh, now, not so much. I mean, it's going to be expensive, even, even though, you know, you can stretch your forage. It's still going to be expensive yeah. because concentrate feeds are expensive yeah i'm not sure that there is a cheap feed no nope, right now there's not um so before we wrap up let's just give producers a rundown on maybe some minerals or vitamins top of um, mind okay. that you think that we should not cut mm -hmm. out of the diet because of cost right. there are just some things we need to have so speak yeah. to that we, we had a really good rancher Thursday lunchtime series. I'm proud of my PhD yes, student. Yes, let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah one minute. Jason yes. Banta gave a really nice presentation on this very topic uh, this summer. And I you know, encourage people to go, go Yeah, I'll look put a link it. to that in the show notes. And, okay. Yeah, excellent. Okay. Well, he just did a great job and he pays close attention to the details. But, but essentially, it doesn't have to be fancy and, and terribly expensive. But absolutely, in a year like this, vitamin A is by far and away the most important or critical thing because these pastures have been out of vitamin A for months, right? Mm -hmm. And cows have a pretty good storage of vitamin A, but over a period periods of months, uh, it gradually gets depleted and they need a supplemental source. So obviously continue to provide, if it's a free choice mineral, that you're providing just make sure keep it fresh uh you know don't well we hope it all gets rained on here soon but, so. <laughs> but but if it does get wet you know uh i mean if they don't consume it in the first few days replace it mm -hmm. uh, don't buy all your year's supply of bagged mineral on january 1st and then feed the last of it on december 31st don't do that because you're you're giving the vitamin a in particular 
can be deteriorated over time, especially when blended with some other minerals. And so keep it fresh. So go, go into town, give you an excuse to go to the coffee shop, right. buy it, you know, buy a couple hundred pounds at a time, tell your wife you had to go buy feed or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, keep, that's a good point. Keep it fresh. Yeah. yeah. And for a lot of those ingredients in that feed, just like you wouldn't buy a uh, lot feed that much at a time yeah. for 12 months. Yeah, you'll wind up with weevil in it, right? Oh gosh, that'd be terrible, <laughs> gross. So this has been such a valuable conversation, Dave. Are, do you have any final parting words of advice you can give to producers to get through this these dry times? I mean, we were talking about minerals. The other couple of things I'll, I'll mention, you know, the fundamentals, uh, work with somebody who is comfortable with ruminant nutrition, like you you suggest earlier, extension educators, and they can contact their area specialist if, if they feel like they need help with it. But copper and zinc are two other critical ones here in Oklahoma. Most of our forages, especially in a drought year, um, are, are depleted in, in those two trace minerals. So the, those are important also. Yeah, just there's just some um, minimal things that you need to maintain. Maintain your minimal or amount of protein. You got to keep those minerals. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, we got to get some hay tests done so we know yeah. what we have out there. For you sure. Know, all of this that we've talked about, really, you really mm. got to know what you have as far as forage. Yeah. If you're yeah. using hay, we can kind of guess that forage, standing forage out there, we can kind of guess what protein mm -hmm. level that it's at just based on weathering and stuff and the drought. But if you've got hay or harvested forage, get it tested. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah some of the, the forages, hay, bale hay that's going to be sold here, being sold now, mm -hmm. the variation is incredible. Oh, yeah. And yeah, you'll have all the way from nice quality hay to basically tree bark. Yeah, like being one offered and for two percent protein, just yeah. horrible. Yeah. yeah, and so the only way to know, and hopefully you can get this done before you purchase it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then it's really simple to calculate what that is worth based on the nutritive value in that feed. It's pretty simple. And there again, you can get hooked up with your extension educator or specialist mm -hmm. or whatever and, and work through that. Yeah. Some of these some of these lots of hay lots is in, you know, meadows harvest or whatever, uh, may have as much as sixty to ninety dollars a ton difference in value. Not price, value. Value. Yeah. And everybody, you need to buy your pay by the ton. Not by the bale. Yeah, it's not for the sure. Same, for right? sure. Yeah. Remember. Yeah. Yeah. I heard a few horror stories yeah. in the past few weeks. So bet. all of this is very valuable advice. Just excellent, Dave. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Okay. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. Listeners, if you have any questions regarding supplementation or feeding cattle this season, give your county extension educators a call. A lot of them have been trained on the calculator. We'll put a link to Dave's Dave's calculator because we, we have a brand new shiny version of it. It's really great to use. Um, they can help you or they'll get in touch with someone who can help you um, just to evaluate feeding options specific to each producer situation. Everybody's different. And so it's important to evaluate it differently. You can find more information about the topics we discussed today on the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us and have a wonderful week.